Hello, church family. I'm Ross Owens, an administrative pastor here at Allegheny Center Alliance Church, and I am so excited to bring you God's Word this weekend. Last month, when Pastor Rock and Pastor Allen asked me to preach God's Word, and I agreed, we decided that I would take the ninth chapter of Genesis. And as I began praying and studying, I considered preaching about the many similarities between Adam and Noah. I looked at the relationship between the scripture, be fruitful and multiply, and the Great Commission. And I even considered teaching on the rainbow and its reminder that God's justice has an expiration date. However, as I began studying verses 20 through 29, I was reminded of the relationship between these verses and the justification for racism that we see today. Now, if you approach this chapter with no understanding of history, you will be surprised of the connection between this strange story of drunkenness, nakedness, family issues, and a curse, and its impact on systemic racism in the 21st century. But let me tell you, that connection is real. So I've entitled this sermon, The Curse of the Curse. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am thankful for this opportunity to be trusted to deliver your word. And Lord, I pray that you guide my words, that you give me the peace and patience needed to do what you have called me to do. And Lord, I pray that each listener will receive your word and apply it to their life. Lord, this cannot be done without the infilling and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I pray that you move upon each and every one of us, open up our understanding to your word so that we may apply it for our life, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today's reading is found in the ninth chapter of Genesis, starting with verse number 20, and it says, Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk, And covered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, curse be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Noah lived 350 years after the flood, so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Now, this particular text has been used for many, many years by so-called Christians to justify segregation, slavery, and systemic racism. What many call the curse of Ham was misused in support to an ugly doctrine of racial superiority. How? Well, let's revisit the story and see. 
Now, soon after the flood, Noah planted, planted a vineyard. And when the grapes were ripe, he picked them and made wine. Then he got drunk from the wine and ended up naked in his tent. Now, at some point, his son Ham walked in and saw him. And trust me, this was no accidental glaze because the Hebrew implies that he gazed with satisfaction. Now, Ham then told his two brothers, Shem and Japheth, what he had seen. And based on my studies, I'm of the opinion that Ham thought it was funny, wanted to embarrass his father, and even sought out to ridicule him. But fortunately, the brothers didn't see it that way at all. They were shocked by the news and they knew they had to cover their father's nakedness. So what did they do? They took a garment, put it on their shoulders, walked backwards in order not to see their father naked, and then they covered him. Now, when Noah woke up, he found out what Ham had done. More than likely, the two brothers told him what happened. And at that point, this story takes an unexpected turn. Noah pronounces a curse upon Ham's son Canaan by prophesying that he will become a slave of slaves to his brothers and to Shem and Japheth. Now, as you continue through the scriptures, you'll see that Ham, again, was the father of Canaan and Canaan was the father of the Canaanites. Now, the Canaanites were sexually perverted idol worshipers who were the sworn enemy of the people of Israel. And when the Israelites got ready to enter into the promised land, God told them to utterly wipe out the Canaanites by destroying their city, their animals, and by killing all men, women, and children. And as early as Genesis 14, the descendants of Canaan, were defeated, and each and every one of them were enslaved. Now, based on this text, various Jewish, Islamic, and even Christian writers came to believe that Ham was the father of African people, and he was widely portrayed as being black. And it was at that point that blackness, servitude, and the idea of racial hierarchy became the foundation of what the white supremacy believed today, and that became their philosophy. This is what's known as the curse of Ham and the myth that ethnic inferiority has biblical roots. Now, for centuries, this myth was used to convince slaves that to resist their assigned inferior status was to resist the will of God. And proponents of this disgusting lie would argue that the Bible supports their actions and they would mention things like Abraham, he was the father of faith, and all the patriots had slaves without God's disapproval. They would also say that the Ten Commandments mentioned slavery twice, showing God's implicit acceptance of it. They would say slavery was widespread throughout the Roman world, and yet, Jesus never spoke about it. And they would even say even Paul returned a runaway slave to his master. And believe it or not, these theories were even supported by popular theologians. See, when I answered my call to ministry, my mom bought me a Schofield study Bible, and I used that thing until the pages fell out. However, in the footnote of the ninth chapter of Genesis, it read this. 
It said a prophetic declaration is made that from Japheth will descend the enlarged races. It went on to say government, science, and art, speaking broadly, are and have been Japhetic, so that history is the indisputable record of the exact fulfillment of these declarations. Now, while Schofield's note may seem innocent, it's important to notice that one particular word, Japhetic. See, Japheth's sons moved into the land which is currently Turkey, Greece, and the Western Mediterranean. In essence, the ancestors of white Europeans. And Japhetic actually means the superiority of the white race. And so Schofield's interpretation is that the curse of Genesis 9 and 27 is a curse that condemned the entire continent of Africa. And this was the attitude of many people in Europe and America in the 18 and 1900s. See, this goes to show that myths don't need facts. They only need supporters. Church family, this is racism and theological disguise. It's using the word of God to bring glory to one's evil agenda under the misconception that God ordained it. Now, let's make sure we as a church family understand this. What does this so-called curse of Ham have to do with the other descendants of Ham? Absolutely nothing. See, the curse was on Canaan, not on Ham, and not upon the other three sons of Ham. Plus, this curse has nothing to do with skin color and the notion that the Bible labels one race more superior than another is even more preposterous. As a matter of fact, the concept of race as we know it is not even in the Bible. See, Scripture talks about the human race and skin color has absolutely nothing to do with it. And to say otherwise is a harmful misreading and misunderstanding of biblical texts. It's a work of the enemy and it does not bring glory to the Father. So is it safe to use Scripture to support slavery and racial segregation? Absolutely not. Unfortunately, it's done by misguided people, some who are professing Christians who pervert the word of God to justify their self-serving and evil actions. So this brings us to the here and now. And some may be thinking, well, I've never heard of the curse of Ham and I've never subscribed to it. Or some may be saying, I'm not racist and I agree that it's bad. But at the same time, don't feel the need to get involved in addressing racial inequalities. Well, I like the way Jamar Tisby addressed this in his book, The Color of Compromise. In his book, he opens with the story of four girls who died when the 16th Street Baptist Church was bombed in Birmingham, Alabama in 1963. See, shortly after that incident, a white lawyer named Charles Morgan Jr. got up in front of an all-white business club and gave an address in which he asked who was responsible for throwing that bomb. Now, in answer to his own question, he said, we all did. 
See, he went on to explain that every time the white community, especially Jesus followers, failed to confront racism in its everyday mundane forms, they created a context of compromise which allowed for an extreme act of racial terror, such as planting dynamite at a church. See, Tisby goes on to say that that's the idea of complicity. It's not that every Christian was a foaming at the mouth racist hurling racial slurs and burning crosses on people's lawns. It's that when they had the opportunity to intervene in everyday ways, they chose complicity over confrontation. And this enabled a larger atmosphere of racial compromise. So church family, what is the answer? Well, for starters, we need to properly define racism and recognize it's a spiritual battle that all Jesus followers must fight. See, this is not a black issue. It's a God issue and complicity by Jesus followers should not be an option. See, racism is more than a disgust for black people. It's the conviction that a particular race or more appropriately an ethnicity is superior or inferior to another and that a person's social or moral traits are predetermined by their inborn biological characteristics. And it's also the support of systemic laws used to oppress a people group solely on the color of their skin. And it's important to understand that racism exists, it's systemic, and it impacts everyone, and it's rooted in pure evil. And look, just because you feel it doesn't impact you doesn't mean it's not real. But see, most importantly, racism is a denial of the truth and the dignity of each human being who is created in the image of God. See, earlier in Genesis, it clearly states that everyone, not just white people, not just black people, but everyone is created in God's image. See, racism is a serious offense against God because it violates the innate dignity of the human person. And at its core, it's a failure to love our neighbor, which means it's a failure to obey Christ. And since we cannot claim to love God unless we love our neighbors, we can only be one with God if we reject racism and work aggressively to remove it from our general lives, our society, and our church. See, racism is a spiritual battle, and as Christ followers, we are called to fight it. It's a direct and calculated attack from Satan to divide God's creation from him and from each other. Trust me, nothing would satisfy Satan more than for Christians to believe that racism in America and around the globe and particularly in the church doesn't exist or it's someone else's fight. We should all long for the day and even fight for the day that we can define church as a body of different cultures, ethnic and economic backgrounds bonded together by the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, growing together according to the biblical principles for mutual edification and for the glory of God. 
See, it's demonstrated in the Bible on more than one occasion. Occasion, Satan takes God's word and he perverts it. And this portion of scripture in the ninth chapter of Genesis has been used for many, many years to enslave and oppress millions of lives, deny justice for innocent men and women based on the color of their skin and build systems and laws to deny people of their rights. But we as the church, we must realize that this battle against racism isn't a fight against any individual, government, system, or law. It's a fight that confronts Satan and his demonic forces. And as followers of Jesus Christ, each of us must act within our sphere that God has given us to uphold sound doctrine and fight against the power of darkness. So what's the responsibility of followers of Jesus Christ to engage in this spiritual warfare to combat the curse of the curse and the myth that it's supported by Scripture? Well, there are many things that we can do, but for the sake of brevity, I'm going to highlight five in no particular order. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand sound doctrine. See, combating evil of any kind must begin with an accurate understanding of God's word. And number two, invite the Holy Spirit to reveal areas of your heart that do not line up with scripture. And trust me, this is not a one and done prayer. It's an ongoing time of prayer, listening, and reflecting while asking God to create in you a clean heart. And as he reveals those areas of unholiness, you must repent. See, regardless of our ethnicity, we all have our biases. It's like the old saying goes, as Christ followers, we may have the heart of God, but we got our granddaddy's bones. See, none of us are exempt from generational biases that negatively influence our thinking. Now, number three, we have to seek the Holy Spirit for courage to be the change God wants us to be. That's when we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to not choose complicity over confrontation. Number four, it's important that we that you educate yourself, educate your children and educate everyone around you about racism and system and systemic racism. And number five. Repeat one through four. (laughs) So it is my prayer and my invitation that every follower of Jesus Christ will join together in making the local church the salt and the light for the world through its efforts to fight racism and promote diversity and harmony. Noah's curse has been used throughout the ages to inflict the tragic curse of slavery and racism on countless people that Christ died for. But we as the body of Christ can work together to undo that curse and replace it with the love of Christ. See, Scripture teaches that ethnic diversity is not something that should be tolerated, but should be enthusiastically embraced. And throughout the New Testament, we see God's heart for diversity expressed explicitly in key moments of the early church. For example, the Great Commission. This is Jesus's final instruction to his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, not just one people group. 
He was cast in vision for, for growing a diverse global movement and not a local homogeneous cult. Next, John gets an all-access backstage pass to see what happens in heaven. And he tells us about a gathering of a great multitude of people, too many people for him to count. And they all wear robes. They were all holding palm tree, palm branches in their hands. They were all shouting one phrase and they were diverse. See, let's make this church, let's make ACAC and every church we're involved in a place to encounter and dialogue among people of all ethnicities and cultures. Let's make this church a clear sign to the world by speaking out against racism and by working to transform the institutions and structures in which racism is so deeply embedded. Let's make this church a place where our children can come and be discipled by someone who looks different than them from a different ethnicity and a different background. And by doing so, we will make God's love more present We will make God's unity more visible and we will make God's justice more real for everyone. Look, despite the chaos in our nation, I'm still encouraged. See, recently I've had a number of people acknowledge that racism and systemic racism is something they really don't understand, but would like to know more about. So to help, On our website, under the Courageous Conversations page, we've posted a number of recommended books, short short videos, and articles that can help you better understand. We encourage you to check them out and to keep the conversation going. And finally, if you have not taken a look at our webpage recently, please do so. And you'll see that this conversation of racism is not a deviation from God's mission for ACAC and not a deviation of God's mission for the church. Our calling has and remains to follow Jesus in diverse community. And if you haven't viewed ACAC's mission, vision, and what we're called to do, please go visit our website and check it out. And while you're there, look at the welcome page where you will find the following statement that God has enabled us to break down long-standing walls of bigotry and fear and replace them with the bridges of God's love and trust. That's what ACAC is called to do, and that's what the church around the world is called to, to do. Church family, we have a unique opportunity to eradicate and impact racism, and we can do it with the power of God. See, this is who we are because this is who God is and this is what he called the church to be. See, discussing racism and bigotry is not a temporary response to current events. And let me be clear, they're not wrong. It's not wrong for us to address these things. However, Our primary calling and the primary calling of all churches who follow sound doctrine is kingdom justice, which is done by us combating sin and introducing people 
to Jesus Christ and his saving grace. In Jesus and Jesus alone, we will find justice for everyone, not just a specific ethnicity. Because in God's economy, justice for one is justice for none. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray against the curse of the curse of systemic racism, slavery, and segregation. Lord, we pray that your glory will move across this planet and touch each and every person and let them know that you are real, that we are sinners in need of salvation. And Lord, I pray that we, as your body, will have the courage to go out and spread your gospel and let people know that systemic racism exists, it's in the church, and that God is against it. Lord, help us not to be complicit and avoid confrontation, but give us the courage to use the power of the Holy Spirit to fight against the evils of darkness. Lord, this cannot be done without you. So please enable each and every one of us to do what you have called us, the church, a body of believers to do so that we can share your glory with everyone. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.